Welcome to the 87th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC 281. That was obviously headlined by Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. And there's a lot of great fights, a lot of stuff happened. So we are going to discuss that. And that's the only thing we're talking about today. We're not previewing next week's fight card. Uh, some decent fights on there, but overall, it is not the best uh, fight night card that we have seen. But that's okay because this uh, UFC 281 card really. Um, Really filled the void. Um, now, getting getting right into the main event, Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya. Uh, Pereira did a really good job of, you know, obviously, well, before we get into the technical stuff, obviously, um, he was down 3-1 heading into that final round. And as long as Izzy survived that final round, he was going to win that fight. But uh, with about three minutes left, Alex Pereira caught caught Israel Adesanya with some really big shots, um, and I shouldn't say caught because I, I don't think that's the most accurate way to describe what happened. Uh, he landed uh, a handful of really good shots, and once he had Izzy hurt, he kept on with the pressure. Izzy was hurt really, really badly, and Mark Goddard stopped the fight. Now, I, I'm, I still haven't decided whether I like the stoppage or don't like the stoppage. I think... If that were the first fight on the prelims, I think I would have been okay with it. But when it's the champion and when it's Israel Adesanya, I think you give him, you know, five more seconds there. You know, ten more seconds to see if he can if he can turn that around. Um, but he was getting hurt very badly, so I understand why why people wanted that stopped, and I want and I understand why Mark Goddard stopped that fight and. Um, I'm not complaining about it. I don't want you to make it seem like that's what I'm doing. Um, Alex Pereira won, you know, more than fair and square. He won in a tremendous fashion. Um, but I could see why Israel Adesanya would have wanted some more opportunities to try and um, recover, especially when he was still on his feet. So I understand both sides of those arguments. Um, so... Uh, I, I get where everyone's coming from on, on both sides, like I said. Now, in terms of the actual performance, Alex Pereira did, you know, one thing that I was really surprised that he was able to do. He was able to push Izzy up against the back of the fence, and he was able to corral him up against the fence and land shots. A lot of the big shots that Alex Pereira were landing were up against the fence. And... That's where he did his best work, and that's where he got the finish. And like I said, I was surprised he was able to control Israel up against the fence like that. I don't know if that was Adesanya, you know, being willing to sit there and and play that game where his back's up against the fence. But I also think um, in a lot of those situations, Pereira had him so pressed where if Izzy goes, you know, a big movement to the left or the right, he runs the risk of running right into a big hook. And if Pereira comes forward with two, three big shots and Izzy has to evade backwards, he's not evading back to the fence. So I think Pereira did a really good job of using strikes to back Izzy up. And then once it, once he did have him backed up, the, the threat of the hooks, I feel like, kept Adesanya up against the fence. And I think that was a very good game plan because um, I don't think he was as successful uh, in the open, but you know you don't have to be as successful in the open if you're able to corral someone up against the cage like he did. That was a very fruitful strategy, and it worked well for him. Now, um, 
for Pereira, I think this um, this showed a couple things. It shows that he can beat Israel Adesanya in MMA, but I don't think he helped his case for being able to defeat any other title potential title challenger uh, at 185 pounds. And what I mean by that is his grappling did not look very good. Israel Adesanya easily won round three by out-grappling him. And I don't know why Adesanya didn't turn towards the grappling in round five. I don't know if it was an ego thing. I don't know if he wanted to, you know, prove that he was the best striker in the world and he wanted to go out there and strike with him for five more minutes. I don't know if that was the case. I hope it wasn't because look at Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou didn't need to, you know, win that win his fight with Cyril Gan with the uh, striking. He did it with the grappling, and he is still the world champion, and everyone was impressed with his game. So I hope that wasn't the case, but um, if it was, I would suggest wrestling in the rematch. Now, um, for for Pereira, in terms of if he can, I mean, I'm, I'm giving away the lead here when we talk about who these guys are going to fight next, but we'll just say it right now. These two are going to rematch. I don't see any scenario they don't, um, barring injuries. Now, but I don't know how Pereira beats any other 185-pound title challenger, except for, I guess you could come up with a couple of names that I could see him beating. But, for example, Robert Whitaker. If Robert Whitaker beats Paulo Costa at UFC 284, I don't know how Robert Whitaker doesn't beat Alex Pajeda. I know every round starts on the feet, but um, Robert Whitaker wasn't able to beat Israel Adesanya because Adesanya, he, he struggled to get Adesanya down and control him on the ground for incredibly long periods of time. And a lot of those fights were standing. Now... Alex Pereira could land a shot that knocks Robert Whitaker out. You could say that against any opponent, but I, I don't see a world where Robert Whitaker doesn't outgrapple him for five rounds. I don't see a world where Marvin Vittori doesn't outgrapple him for five rounds. Uh, Jared Cannonier maybe could be able to outgrapple him for five rounds. I think he should be able to. The question mark with Cannonier is, is that going to be the strategy he employs? Um, Paul Acosta probably could outgrapple him for five rounds if he chose to. Derek Brunson, I'm a little bit suspect with Derek Brunson because every time you put Derek Brunson in the scenario to, hey, go take this guy down, you know, sometimes he's able to do it. If it's like Shabazian or Kevin Holland, he's able to implore that game plan. But when he was asked to do it against Israel Adesanya, he wasn't able to. So maybe even Derek Brunson could beat this guy. But at the end of the day, styles make fights. And right now, Alex Pereira, Alex Pajeda versus Israel Adesanya, in that stylistic matchup, it leans in Pereira's favor a lot, and, and he proved that, and he became the world champion. So uh, more, than, more than all the credit I can give to him. Very, very strong performance. Now, in the co-main event, we saw Wei Li Zhang. She went out there against Carla Esparza, and she looked really, really good, and she got her belt back. Uh, Wei Li on the feet. I was a little, so she was landing the hands well, she landed some really good kicks, and then anytime the fight was on the ground, she had some good scrambles, and she was able to stay out of dangerous positions for a long period of time. I think Carlos Barza was on top once in the first round, um, but she didn't really do much with it. And then in that second round, obviously, Wei Li went out there and got herself a really, really nice rear naked choke finish. That was an, she went for that uh, little 
inverted crucifix kind of in the first round as well and you know she couldn't hold position as well um, and then she got it in the second round and was able to finish the fight so that was a great great finish and Weili Zhang is your champion once again I don't think there was much doubt here right I think most people believe that Weili would be able to do that I don't know that people thought that that was the exact style that that was going to happen in I don't think many people thought Weili was going to be able to get into a dominant position and submit Carla I thought personally that she was going to defend takedowns and knock her out on the feet um, so she did it a little bit differently than many people thought, but nonetheless, she still went out there and got a really strong win. The one thing that I was surprised by is that she was so willing to throw those kicks. I mean, those kicks, Carla was able to catch those kicks a couple times and got the fight to the ground a couple times because she caught kicks. Um, so I was surprised she didn't just lean on the hands, but nonetheless, I mean, it worked for her, so I have not going to criticize her at all. Um, Forrest Barza. You know, that's just a tough matchup for her, right? At the end of the day, that's a really tough fighter, and that's a tough stylistic matchup for her to beat. So I don't, like, this doesn't make me think any less of Carla Esparza. I think there's been a lot of negative talks surrounding Carla Esparza because she doesn't have the best striking, because of the way that she beat Rosanama Yunus in, in their title fight. I think there's been a lot of talk around, negative talk around Carla Esparza. I don't think Carla Esparza is a bad fighter. But today, or, or Saturday, excuse me, at UFC 281 with, with Wei Li, um, Wei Li is just a tough matchup for and another very, very good fighter. Now, I, I, I don't know where to go with the women's strawweight title. What does Wei Li do now? I don't really know the answer to that question. I think that's a quite confusing title picture right now, and it could be the most confusing title picture in the sport, in my opinion. And when you're looking at this, um, Jessica Andrade is an important factor in this, and I'll explain more in a second, but she is going back up to, or maybe she has still been Jessica Andrade. Who knows what weight she fights at? Okay, so she's in the strawweight rankings, and she's got a win over Amanda Lamos, but she's going back to 125. Um, she likes to do this game where she bounces between 125 and 115. But she's going back to 125, Jessica Andrade is. Now, that's important because when you're looking at who Whaley is going to defend this belt against, um, your options at this point are Rose Namajunas, Amanda Lemos, Jessica Andrade took herself out of this, which is important because she has a win over Lemos, and Yan Xiaonan. Now, I I don't know what they're going to do here. Because I don't think they should do Rose versus Whaley 3. I don't really want to see another trilogy. I think we've been absolutely loaded with rematches and trilogies. And frankly, I want to see some fresh matchups. And, you know, Usman losing to Leon and Israel losing to... Uh, Pereira didn't help either of those factors at all because those two are guys where you have to give those two immediate rematches. So there's like no debate there that those two get immediate rematches. And then you've got Yuri versus Glover. I don't think that really deserved an immediate rematch. It was a great fight, but, you know, do we have to run back every single title fight? Sterling versus Jan, they fought twice. Figueredo versus Moreno, they're going to fight four times. 
Pena and Nunez fought twice. You know, we've just been getting a lot of these rematches and trilogies, so I hope we don't see Rose versus Wei Li for a third time. Now, with that being said, um, I do think Rose is probably the next best strawweight on the planet outside of Wei Li. She has beat Wei Li twice. I think those were under a little bit different circumstances, and I'm a little bit higher on Wei Li than I am right now than I was when those fights took place. And if those two were to fight, I'd probably take Wei Li in that fight with without doing like just off the top of my head. But um, looking at that division right now, you've got Amanda Lemos, who I think probably deserves the next title shot. She went out there and beat Marina Rodriguez very cleanly, and that was a very impressive performance. And when you're looking at the other fighter that I named, um, Zhao Nan Yan, she, she had a really good win over Mackenzie Dern, but it was a close fight. And at this point, you know, Marina Rodriguez and Mackenzie Dern, I don't think are exactly the same quality of win. I, I really like Mackenzie Dern. She's one of my favorite female fighters. But um, I think Marina Rodriguez right now, I think that win earned you more. And that, that was a more impressive win. Uh, Lynn Moshe's win over Rodriguez was more impressive than Yan's over Dern. And if you want to keep going further, I just think that matchup of Wei Li Zhang versus, or excuse me, Zhang Wei Li versus Amanda Lemos is one of the most exciting strawweight fights you can book right now. Those two are both finishers. Those two are going to go in there and scrap. That has that has fight of the night potential written all over it. And um, I mean, I'd be I'd be very interested to see how that fight plays out. So that's probably where I would go next. Um, Whaley versus Lemos. Now, you can do, well, Yan Jonan already lost to Carla Esparza. So that wouldn't make sense for Carla. I think Carla versus Jessica Andrade would have made a lot of sense if Andrade wanted to stay at 115. Otherwise, right now, you know, maybe you do Carla versus Mackenzie Dern or Marina Rodriguez. They're both coming off losses, but right now, um, like I said, that division is in a, a really interesting spot because I doubt she fights Rose again, and I doubt she fights Zhao Nanyan again. So, she's well, she's already got a win over Marina Rodriguez. That was a split decision. Maybe it'd be a good time to run that back. Um, so, that's probably where I'd put my, put my claim there, Carla versus Marina Rodriguez, when they're both ready to go again. Um, now, the fight of the night, Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Tremendous, tremendous fight. Um, first round, absolute madness. Michael Chandler looked tremendous for a large portion of that first round. He landed a lot, a lot of big shots. And in in the final exchanges of that fight, or in that first round, Dustin Poirier landed a big, big shot right on right on the nose of Chandler. Really just made that nose explode and really hurt Chandler bad with that. Almost got the finish. Round two, Chandler's nose is all busted up and he's in a world of trouble. He's able to get a takedown and control position for the whole second round. Third round, though, it's clear that Poirier is the fresher fighter. And these two, Poirier and Chandler, are so close in skill that if one guy has a decided or evident factor or evident, you know, strength in terms of cardio at the moment they're gonna pull ahead and that's exactly what happened um chandler went for a takedown 
went to take the back and it's one of those things where you're not as explosive as you were in the first round or in the second round because you're so tired and that gives Poirier the opportunity to reverse that position come out on top and get his own rear naked choke finish it was a great 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 fight um what I'm talking about when I'm talking about it right now I'm not really putting it into words of how of how good it was because you can't really do that especially with that wild wild first round now in terms of strategically, I really like some of the things that Dustin Poirier did in terms of like uh, he was going hammer blocks, which I think is an underrated tool of MMA that people don't utilize enough. Hammer block is basically here where your hand is like this. Audio listeners, um, you make up about 1% of the population. So when I show things, you don't get to see it, but you know, the YouTubes are, are where the viewers are at. Sorry. Now, anyways, back on track. Um, those hammer blocks, they help absorb uh, power shots a lot more than your traditional guard or high guard or even just rolling with a shot. Those are some of the best ways to absorb a power shot. So that was something I liked from Poirier, and he was rolling with them as well. So hammer block with the roll. When you're fighting someone like Chandler, uh, that's a very, very good tool. And he didn't roll into any shots, I don't think. Um, there's a chance I missed some watching the first time because that round was so wild, but I don't think he rolled into any shots, which is another thing you have to worry about. If you're going to roll a lot, you can't roll, you know, you can't let Chandler, you know, throw that right and then come back with that left hook or, and then, you know, you roll into that left hook while you're coming away from the right hand. So he did a good job of that as well. Countering some loopy looping shots with straight shots was a very, um, pointed emphasis that Poirier said in the post fight and it was something that a lot of people have discussed so I'm sure you've heard that narrative already and that was an additional strategy that really helped Poirier pull ahead in this fight now um, Poirier was caught clean a couple times I don't want to run past that right I made it seem like he had an A plus game and went out there and dominated he was hurt very badly in that first round, so I don't want to overlook that because it was a very close and competitive fight while it lasted. Now, um, I think this is really interesting where these two guys go from here. Um, if you're Dustin Poirier, you know, how do you get back to the title? Do you want to get back to the title and, or do you want money fights, right? That's my question. Do you want money fights and fun fights or do you want title fights? Because I think if he wants a title fight, I don't think there's any question you should book Benil Dariush versus, versus Dustin Poirier. Because if Dustin Poirier can beat Benil Dariush, he would then be right in line to fight the winner of Islam Makhlchev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, um, I'm not sure how well either of those fights go for Dustin. I'm not sure if he would become a champion if that was the matchup that he was faced with, if that was the task he had to do. I think it would be possible. Um, but what really intrigues me there is if Alexander Volkanovsky can somehow beat Islam Makhlchev, I don't, I'm not going to pick Alexander Volkanovsky in this fight. I highly doubt unless I watch film and see the like biggest, like mind changing, uh, like mind changing evidence that I've ever had. I doubt my opinion on that fight sways. Uh, right now I've got Makhlchev. And probably Makhlchev by a dominant fashion. Unfortunately, I really like Alexander Volkanovsky. And I like seeing fighters try and become double champion and achieve greatness. But nonetheless, if, if Alexander Volkanovsky 
can defeat Islam Akhlatov, and Dustin Poirier can defeat Benil Dariush. A potential lightweight championship fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Dustin Poirier would be one of the greatest fights of all time. That would be ridiculous. I don't care who wins the interim championship. That's a piece of news that we're not really talking news today because, frankly, I don't have enough time. But um, I don't really like that they did Yair versus Emmett for the interim championship. I'm not a fan of that. I think they should have just had him fight regularly. I don't think that fight deserves interim status regardless. Dustin Poirier versus Alexander Volkanovsky for the 155-pound belt, if they both win, can be an incredible fight. Like, all-time great fight in terms of, like, not even, like, historic, like, impact or meaningfulness, but, like, pure entertainment over a five-round stretch. Volkanovski versus Ale- Volkanovski versus Poirier is the best, one of the best fights that I could think of in my mind. So that's that's what I hope happens, honestly. Now, if Poirier doesn't decide to go the belt route, I think you have to look at fights like Justin Gaethje. Um, I doubt they do the Conor McGregor fourth fight right now. That just doesn't seem realistic. Um, <clears throat> and then at 170, I think there's a potential shot that he moves up to 170 and fights someone like Colby Covington. Now, um, I think that's really interesting for Dustin because I think that's a very fun matchup too. And I think that'd be interesting to see how that fight plays out. So I w- I'd want to see Colby Covington versus Dustin Poirier as well. Now, um, I don't know how much that helps Colby Covington, or I don't know how much that helps Dustin Poirier become a UFC champion, undisputed champion, simply because when you're looking at these divisions, what exactly happens, right? I don't really see Poirier beating Makhlchev that much. I could see Poirier beating Leon Edwards, right? As much as I love Leon Edwards, I think that'd be a fun and interesting fight. Um... I don't know who I would pick in that fight. I might pick Leon Edwards in that fight. That'd be a very close one. I think the lines on that would be an interesting thing to see. But Poirier versus Edwards, that's at least a fight that he has a, a chance in. I'd probably be looking at that fight around, you know, almost a, a pick in my opinion. That'd be a very close fight. And, But at the same time, I don't really see him beating Kamaru Usman or Hamzat Chimaev. So depending on who holds that belt when it's when it's Dustin's time to challenge could greatly affect what he plans to do. So I mean, I, I, what I'm telling you basically is I don't know what we're going to see from Dustin Poirier moving forward. What I do think is that I do think Dustin takes some time off, right? I think at this point in his career, Dustin's not going to be the most active fighter. I think right now we're looking at one time a year from Dustin. And I think if we ever get two times a year from Dustin, uh, we should be you know very, very grateful. So that's kind of my opinion right now for Dustin Poirier. Now for Michael Chandler. Um, I think right now you have to do Chandler versus Connor, right? I think that's an interesting fight. I think that's a fun fight. And I like the idea of throwing Connor in there with a tough guy who isn't currently the best fighter in the world, right? As much as I love Michael Chandler and as much as Michael Chandler is one of the most entertaining guys in the sport, Michael Chandler isn't as good as Dustin Poirier. He's not as good as Charles Oliveira. He's not as good as some of these elite, elite lightweights. So I think giving Connor a step down from that would be beneficial to Connor 
and beneficial to the UFC as well because you could potentially get Conor a win. And at a minimum, this fight, this Chandler versus Conor fight would be very, very entertaining. I'd love to see what that fight looked like in the third round if it got there. I don't think it does, right? But if those two dudes got into a third round, I'd only imagine how tired they both are. Um, so I think that's an interesting fight. You can do that at 155 or 170. Um, outside of that, Chandler versus Fazeev doesn't look bad. Um, I don't really know where else you would go with Chandler right now. I don't really think you book him with someone like Gamrat, Saruki, and Turner. I don't think those types of names make sense for Michael Chandler at this moment. So I think maybe a Fazeev if you don't give him Connor. Um, I think that's probably the best way to go for, for those two. Now moving forward, Chris Gutierrez retired Frankie Edgar, and it was a great performance from Chris Gutierrez. He did a lot of really good work in this fight. Um, he, he, he's, he's so quick, and I was really surprised he didn't knock Frankie out with the spinning elbow he landed. I believe it was an elbow. It might have been a back fist. It was pretty quick, so I didn't really see it fully, but I'm like 99% sure it was a spinning elbow. Um, eventually, he, cat, he catches Frankie moving in. Took a, took a play out of Corey Sandhagen's playbook. He just didn't have to throw the flying knee. He just threw that straight knee up in the air and knocked him out. Um, great performance. Great performance from Chris Gutierrez. Um, now, what is next for Chris Gutierrez? He, I believe, when you're looking at that, he just took out number 12, Frankie Edgar. Chris Gutierrez versus Adrian Yanez and Chris Gutierrez versus Song Dong. Both are incredible fights. One of those two, Bookham, could care less which one we get. And for Frankie Edgar, Frankie Edgar's obviously retired. It was a tremendous career. You have heard, you know, the UFC and the commentators and everybody involved talk about how much Frankie Edgar has meant to the sport. Frankie Edgar is a tremendous fighter. And Frankie Edgar, in my opinion, is getting out of the sport at a good time. I think he picked the right time to go. Um, we'll miss Frankie, but uh, ultimately... I think he uh, he made the right decision here. Moving on. Dan Hooker takes out Claudio Puelles. Puelles really didn't have much left after he didn't get that first leg lock that he was deep in on, or, or knee bar, excuse me. Uh, from there, he was a little bit tired, and I, it, he seemed a little bit unconfident, and Dan Hooker was just able to pick him apart. You know, whether it be straight shots, whether it be hooks, whether it be the teeps to the body, uh, Dan Hooker really picked him apart on the feet and got himself back in the win count. Now, um, I don't know when Bobby Green can return from suspension, but if Bobby Green can return from his suspension anytime soon, uh, Bobby Green versus Dan Hooker is the fight to make without a doubt in my mind. Um, otherwise, uh, possibly a Tony Ferguson, maybe. If Tony still wants to fight Dan Hooker versus Tony Ferguson, I think that's a, a decent fight to make. Um, from there, I don't really know what else you'd do with Dan Hooker. I think you could look deeper in those 155-pound uh, rankings, um, the unranked guys. But right now, once again, I don't think Sarukian, Turner, Gamrat, Ismagulov, Grant Dawson, I don't really, really want to see Hooker fight any of those guys, at least right now. I think we give him one more guy who is unranked or not quite as good at the moment um, and, and make sure Dan Hooker is still an elite fighter, which I think he is, but I think we should give him at least one more before we throw him back in there with ridiculous levels of competition. Now, um, 
155, a great fight here. Hanato Moicano did a really good job against Brad Riddell. And this was a tremendous fight. Moicano looked really good on the feet, looked really good on the ground. This was a classic Moicano performance where he touches you up a little bit on the feet before he eventually is able to land a takedown and is able to choke you out. Um, great post-fight press conference as well. Um, he did a really good job of uh, making, making that fun. Uh, he didn't really call anyone out, but he did, you know, Moicano is one of those guys where you either hate him or you love him, and that was a that was a good press conference. I enjoyed that. Right now, I'm looking at, you know, what do we do with Moicano? He's right outside of those 155-pound rankings. I wouldn't be against giving him a ranked guy like a Grant Dawson, um, someone of that nature, right? UFC, the UFC rankings are kind of weird at lightweight because you've got Hooker, Connor, and Tony at 13, at 12, 13, 14. So, so I think there's a level of name value you have to have to get one of those fights, especially if you're looking at Connor or Tony. And I don't know that Moicano has that at least yet. He may be one or two fights away. But it sounds like he wants to fight on Brazil. He told Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker, I will fight you, but we have to fight in Brazil in January. And then Dan Hooker said, no, I said I will fight anybody in Australia in February. So your offer does not work with my original offer. So those two aren't going to fight because um, clearly they're not on the same page, which is fine. That's a, that, that would be a fun fight otherwise. Outside of that, Hinato Moicano against like a Drew Dober, Diego, Diego Fajeda, Garam Kutatalatse, Joel Alvarez, Tiago Moises. Someone like that, I think, is a level that we're looking at for Moicano right now. Um, Ryan Spann, or what, what are we doing with Brad Riddell before we get out of here? Brad Riddell, he is now not really in the best position. Um, that puts him at two losses in a row. Uh, Jalen Turner and... Moicano are both really, really good fighters. So that's not really like that end of the world, you know. But at the same time, you're not going to crack into the lightweight rankings if you're losing to Jalen Turner and Hinato Moicano, right? I, like I said, I really like both of those guys. Oh, and the third in a row, he fought Fazeev before that. Fazeev, you get a pass. Turner, I think, could eventually be a really good fighter at lightweight, so you can get a pass for that too. Moicano, I, he's really good too. Maybe even give him a pass for that, but three in a row. I think we need Dan Hooker to get back in the in the win column against somebody. Um, Drakkar Close, that's a name that stands out to me. Joe Selecki, you know, someone like that that may not be, you know, good fighter. Those guys are good fighters, but they are not as good as the three guys that he's just lost to. So I think someone of that level. Ryan Spann versus Dominic Reyes, another really, really good fight. Ryan Spann went out there, landed a... These two got into big exchanges early, right? Every time these two swung, I thought someone was going to get knocked out. Um, that's eventually what happened, and it was Dominic Reyes who got knocked out. Ryan Spann said he hasn't been training, and was just like, hey, I trained for a fight, and look how well I fought. It's like, that's absolutely wild. Please continue to train. Um, what are we doing with Ryan Spann? Um, right now, I think Vulcan Uzdemir, I think that's the way to go with that, right? I don't think there's much, no, 
do Nikita Kurlov instead. My bad. Volkan Ozdemir just lost. Um, Nikita Kurlov versus Ryan Spann makes a lot of sense. You're looking at Spann moving up to 7 in those rankings. Um, maybe Jamal Hill as well. I'm still in the camp that believes Jamal Hill deserves a top 5 fight. So I'm holding out on that right now. But if Jamal Hill wants to fight someone ranked below him, um, Ryan Spann, that's an entertaining fight Jamal Hill versus Ryan Spann would be. Now, Dominic Reyes, who knows what to do with Dominic Reyes? I don't. Um, I could see the case for him needing to hang it up, right? Three. You know, he didn't get knocked out by John Jones, but he got knocked out bad against Span. He got knocked out bad against Deary, and he got he didn't get knocked out bad, but he got the crap beat out of him by Jan Blachowicz. So, um you I think if Dominic Reyes continues to fight, I think we do Reyes versus this sounds weird to say, but I'm saying Ryan Spann, or excuse me, Johnny Walker, not Ryan Spann. They obviously just fought. That's a significant step down in competition. I know that Spann was ranked 12. Walker was ranked 11. So these two do have like, um, I guess it's not like a steep drop in competition. But I think based on what we saw from Ryan Spann last night, um... I'm thinking Ryan Spann's a little... And Ryan Spann lost to Johnny Walker, too. And Johnny Walker's good, but he, I don't think he's as good as Ryan Spann. I don't... You know, I think we've seen some improvements from Spann. So, I, I'm still thinking Johnny Walker versus Dominic Reyes if Dominic Reyes continues to fight. Um, Dominic Reyes versus Jimmy Crute may be a shout as well. Or maybe Dominic Reyes versus Dustin Jacoby. Um, all interesting fights. Maybe that's the direction that they go. Aaron Blanchfield, tremendous win. Tremendous win against Miley McCann. Tremendous win against Miley McCann. And this was kind of the fight that I expected at first. When this first when this fight first got announced, I was like, Aaron Blanchfield's going to kill Miley McCann. I hope that doesn't bug the uh the good old people over at youtube but um i thought aaron blanchfield was going to win this fight pretty easily um now when you're when we're looking at this fight you know the the thing that swayed me back in the favor not even the favor of mccann but like i was high on blanchfield and then i became less high i still picked her i still thought she was going to win but i was concerned of the pressure of that moment and whether a 23-year-old would be able to compete against one of the more popular fighters on the UFC roster at Madison Square Garden. And once again, she's only 23. And that was something that was really interesting to me, and I didn't know whether she was going to be able to handle that. She did handle that, so credit to her. The performance itself was tremendous. She gets the early takedown. The, the stand-up was going in McCann's favor, but she gets the takedown, gets the crucifix, lands a bunch of shots out of crucifix, eventually gets a Kimura, and it is done from there. And I have seen people making fun of Miley McCann because Miley McCann said in an interview, I will never tap. Right, that's what she said. I won't tap. Now, the people who are making fun of Molly McCann for saying she won't tap, you're a terrible person because she's in a Kimura, right? So, when a fighter says they won't tap, 
that traditionally means they're talking about chokes. The point of the, what they're saying is I'd rather go to sleep and wake up and then tap. However, when you have the same consequence, the consequence is no longer going to sleep and waking back up. And the consequence changes to my shoulder becoming mush and being out for two years because I just allowed someone to absolutely mangle it. So that's what it changes to. Now, so don't give Molly McCann crap for tapping because that's the only option in that scenario. You absolutely, as a fighter, cannot let someone continue with a Kimura and absolutely mangle your arm and potentially have career-altering effects because you wanted to save your ego in one fight. So if you're one of those people clowning on Molly McCann for tapping, you're an idiot. Where do we go from here? Um... Miley McCann give her some straw weight that is, you know, just outside the rankings. There are, excuse me, um, flyweights. There aren't a ton of flyweights that are just outside the rankings. So there isn't really much. Um, Melissa Gatos, Sajari Eubanks, JJ Aldridge, Antonio, Antonita Shevchenko. Any of them, I don't really... Priscilla Cachueta. Do Priscilla Cachueta. Yeah, we'll do that one. Um, and then Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield, I think, deserves a big fight, but not uh, too big of a fight, because I think she should be helped along in her process and not, like, rushed. So I think her call-out of Andrea Lee makes a lot of sense. I think that is a good fight to book. I don't even have anything else to add on to that. Now we're running short on time here, so we're going to speed run the end of this. Uh, Petrosky, uh, one of the better wins of his career against Wellington Terman. He wasn't able to get the finish, but he was able to get the decision win. And I say it's one of the best wins of his career because I liked him. See- I like seeing him go 15 minutes and fighting through that and still getting a win. Wellington Terman may not be the best competition, but I think that was a good performance, and he did really good in the wrestling. Matt Frivolda got a big win over Adam and Azatir. This was one of the fights that I was most confident in and most wrong in. I thought Ottoman was going to be able to hit Matt Frivola and knock him out badly. And I thought if Frivola was able to land, um, if I thought Frivola was going to win, it was going to come because he was going to out-wrestle Ottoman. But um, that was not true at all. Frivola landed a big shot and credit to him. Carolina Kovalkiewicz. I was really, once again, another surprising fight. I thought Gomez Juarez was going to be able to finish Kovalkiewicz. And Kovalkiewicz... You know, she had a tough fight in there, and, and she came out on top, and um, it's looking like those doubts of her wanting to fight in the UFC are, are, are beginning to fade. That was my biggest concern with her, but it looks like she's back on track and, and still ready to compete at the highest level, so um, credit to her because that's not an easy thing to do. Mike Trezano and Sangwoo Choi, these two had another tremendous fight. Um, we saw a double knockdown. Trezano was getting beat up. Choi was getting beat up. Eventually, Trezano lands that shot that uh, gets him out on top. Montel Jackson, good decision win over Julio Arce. Um, Not the most incredible fight, not the most entertaining fight, but Montel Jackson had to do what he had to do to get a win, and that's what he did. 
Carlos Oberg, best performance of his career against Nikolai Negomarianu. He was able to land the knockout, and that's important against Negomarianu because Negomarianu is the type of guy where if you get dragged into a deep back-and-forth fight in the third round with Negomarianu, that's not the type of guy that you want to uh, be in there with. He's a real gritty fighter, and so that was a very, very strong performance from Olberg, and I was impressed. Now, um, I'll be back next week breaking down next week's fight card. I don't really have much else to add. Um, I really didn't want to. I wanted to keep this episode short, um, and we are recording late, so I'll try to get it out and back to you as soon as possible. But nonetheless, thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Goodbye. Ah!